You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. super happy to be in front of you all, and I just want to thank you for trusting me to talk to you about Jesus. Um, It means a lot. It really does. Uh, And so I'm just going to start us off with a prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this Sunday. Thank you for gathering us together. Uh, Thank you for trusting me with your word, Lord. I pray that you would use me to speak to everyone under the sound of my voice, Lord. I pray that folks are moved and feel closer to you and closer to each other. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen. Amen. So last week, Reverend Vanita kicked off the first part of our current sermon series, What Forms Us. She preached about how our experiences form us and inform our faith. To illustrate this, she talked about how the disciples experiencing Jesus um, moved them to give up everything and follow him. The miracle of him providing more fish than their nets could hold. Um, But She also made the important point that while experience plays a huge and instructive role in our lives, it does not tell the full story of who we are and how we move through the world or how we experience our faith. She noted that how we reflect on and make sense of these experiences is also important. The scripture says that when Jesus told Simon to cast out his net, Simon answered, Master, We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. So even before Jesus performed the miracle, Simon reasoned that what he knew of Jesus trumped what he'd been experiencing on the water all day. We're going to be talking about reason today, which is the next part of the quadrilateral and also what forms us and informs our faith. And to give a quick recap, Uh, The sermon series, What Forms Us, draws on the Wesley Quadrilateral, which is a process for theological reflection that was coined by Methodist scholar Albert C. Outler, who credits 18th century Methodist movement leader John Wesley. So the United Methodist Church's Book of Discipline states that Wesley believed that the living core of Christian faith was revealed in scripture, illuminated by tradition, vivified, which just means made real, in personal experience, and confirmed by reason. It goes on to say that we reason when we relate scripture to our tradition and experience so we can know God more fully. Reason is our God-given ability to reflect on all these things to form and express our faith. God gave us brains so we can keep searching and asking to discover what makes sense and understand how God wants us to live. So we're talking about reason, and to start, I will be transparent about my own relationship with reason. I am an Aries. I am a lawyer and a Brooklyn native, which basically means I'm always right. 
it is my cross to bear. But seriously, as a lawyer, I have been trained to reason, taught the value of sound logic. As an Aries, I might have a somewhat outsized sense of my own rightness. <laughs> and we can all agree that Brooklyn is amazing and the people therein. And so all that's to say, I don't like being wrong. I don't like having to learn things. I want to be good at something immediately. I like being able to make sense of things right away by myself. <laughs> and so you can imagine this does not always work out for me. <laughs> and oftentimes I reluctantly have to look outside of myself in order to make sense of the world, to make sense of my faith, and even times to make sense of myself. And sometimes that means going to friends, or my parents, or my therapist, or Twitter. Uh, in living out our faith, we often look to God to make sense of the world, or we throw up our hands and declare that something just doesn't make sense. And that's been happening for me a lot lately. Can anyone relate to this? Right? Like how COVID protocols have all but disappeared as cases continue to rise, how our minimum wage is lower than the cost of living, how our civil rights are being stripped away on an almost daily basis or how anyone could believe that mint belongs anywhere near chocolate. <laughs> it truly confounds the senses. <laughs> uh, the official title for this sermon is Reason. My personal one is Make It Make Sense Jesus. Because I say it a lot. And also because this is what I imagine the disciples were saying to Jesus all the time. I was going to say that the disciples were in a perpetual state of confusion. Um, but maybe curiosity is a better word. They were constantly trying to figure things out, to figure Jesus out, and by extension, figure out their faith. In my mind, I always imagined that while Jesus was teaching, the disciples were sitting there nodding along, co-signing everything, and as soon as everyone left, they were like, Jesus, what? And to be fair to the disciples, Jesus, by his own admission, was not the straightest talker. He often taught through parables, which are defined as simple stories meant to illustrate moral or spiritual lessons very similar to an extended metaphor. I think the disciples would disagree with the simple part, um, but we're going to dig into one and you can let me know what you think. The scripture we're pulling from is Mark 4, 1 through 20. It's a little long, but I promise it's worthwhile. And for context, Jesus is well into his ministry. He has all 12 disciples at this point, including Mark, who wrote this. He's raised the dead and healed the blind. He's disrupting the status quo. Religious leaders are outraged. They have accused him of um, breaking the Sabbath. And he's amassed a pretty large following. And in Mark 4, we see him teaching through parables, starting with the parable of the sower. It begins. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables and in his teaching said, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plant. 
so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Then Jesus said, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the 12 and others around him asked about the parables. In Matthew, who's another disciple and one of the four gospel writers, he says that the disciples asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing but never perceiving, and ever hearing but never understanding, Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. And if that part sounded a little Old Testament-y, uh, that's because it is. <laughs> um, so quickly for context, this fulfills the prophecy of Isaiah when God told Isaiah the same thing when sending him out to preach. And it's speaking to the reality that there are some people who harden their hearts against hearing the word of God. Okay, back to the scripture. Uh, then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? They did not. Um, <laughs> How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word at once, receive it with joy, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble and persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seeds sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desires of other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seeds sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop. Some 30, some 60, some 100 times what was sown. So I have a tendency when I'm reading Bible stories, or any story really, um, to determine what character I am most like. Um, to try to figure out who I would be if I were in the story. Do any of you do that too? Um, and most of the time we only allow ourselves to pick one. Depending on your personality or upbringing, you may be quick to say that you are the good guy in the story. The disciple who never hesitated to follow Jesus. Or you may have been introduced to your faith through a lens of shame and judgment, and so you identify more with those whose faith are not as strong, those who have to be taught the same lesson over and over. Or maybe you fall somewhere in the middle. But wherever you think you might fall, I want you to know that our faith is not a zero-sum game. It is not all or nothing. And that is good news. Because some days we're good soil, other days we can be real thorny and there is no reasoning with us. If you catch me when I'm hungry, please believe nothing is getting through. And that's okay. If the disciples who Jesus handpicked have shown us anything, it is that our faith is not perfect. Having witnessed with their own eyes Jesus work miracles, the disciples still had their doubts. They fell asleep when they were supposed to be praying they betrayed Jesus and lied about knowing him. They were a messy bunch and the very people Jesus chose to spend his every day with. We are not called to be perfect or to get it right all the time, but we are called to experience Jesus and then ask questions, to try to make sense of what we've experienced. And sometimes we won't succeed. 
Sometimes the worries of this world make it hard for us to hear God. Sometimes our roots are shallow. Sometimes our faith brings with it trouble and persecution and we waver. But we've been invited to question and reason alongside Jesus, to interrogate what keeps us from hearing him, from understanding him, and sometimes it's him. Jesus did not make sense. He was disruptive, not just to systems of oppression, but to how people understand the world. Jesus strains our ability to reason, and I think that's on purpose. I think he's literally saying, you have to get close to me in order to make sense of the world, in order to make sense of your faith. And even then, he does not promise us answers. To be transparent, again, a couple days ago, I was listening to past sermons, and I chose Reverend Josh's sermon on unapologetically wondering. I cannot tell you why. Let's talk it up to the spirit. Um, But as I was listening, I was like, oh, no. This is very similar to what I was working on. And so I hesitated and questioned whether I was doing the right thing if I should scrap my entire sermon and start all over. And the spirit laughed at me in a loving and constructive way, you know? In the same way Jesus asks, do you not understand this parable? The spirit said to me, you are literally talking about how we might need to hear something more than once. How maybe we're not in the right headspace to understand something the first time. And how Jesus is gracious enough to repeat himself and use us to repeat things as well. And you still don't get it. And I didn't. I doubted what Jesus had been leading me to preach on simply because someone else had preached something similar. I think this is an example of how even when we reason, we do so in a way that is contrary to scripture, our experiences, and tradition. As far as scripture goes, the Bible is full of repetition. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John the gospel writers wrote very similar things, and they are all valued in their own right. I experienced the Spirit put it on my heart to preach about this, not knowing how it would turn out, but trusting the process. And it was tradition in the church that I grew up in for pastors to preach from the same passages regularly, because there are always different ways God might reveal themselves. So all that to say, we are not meant to reason in isolation. And I did not scrap my sermon and start all over um, because scripture, experience, and tradition told me otherwise. And so if you tuned into service about a month ago, um, this next part might sound familiar. Reverend Josh talked about how, as a church, Forefront asks a lot more questions than we have answers. We are more concerned with asking good questions than with having all the answers. And Jesus truly provides a blueprint for this because scripture records him asking 307 questions. And he was asked 183. So basically for every question he was asked, he turned around and asked a question and a half. And of the 307, Martin B. Copenhaver in his book, Jesus is the Question, argues that Jesus only gave a straight answer three times. And just so I don't leave you hanging, those three times were, one, when Pontius Pilate, the Roman official who presided 
over Jesus' trial and ordered his crucifixion, asked Jesus if he was a king. And Jesus answered, you say rightly that I am a king. The second was when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, and he taught them the Lord's Prayer. And then the third was when the Pharisees were trying to trip him up and ask what the greatest commandment is. And Jesus says, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. These are the only three times Jesus gives a straight answer. And this tells me that Jesus was incredibly irritating. <laughs> I would have been so frustrated. I remember the first time I read this story of Jesus calming the storm. And I was frustrated on behalf of the disciples because their fear made perfect sense to me. And so for this story, we're still in Mark chapter 4. It's the same day that Jesus teaches the parables. And he and the disciples are, at the end of the day, all in a boat traveling across the Sea of Galilee. Everyone is asleep, and there is a terrible storm. The disciples wake up, and they're panicked, and Jesus is still asleep. So they go and wake him up and say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. This is really interesting to me because they trusted Jesus enough to go to him for help, but not enough to trust that he'd have everything under control. And then when he does save the day, the disciples are questioning who he is. Does that feel similar to your own experience at all? And while Jesus' question may seem harsh, it could also be seen as an invitation to reason, to make sense of what they'd been experiencing while in ministry with him. Jesus is extending an open invitation to be curious and is modeling that for us. And some more good news is that there is room for our frustration, room for our doubt, and room for our fear. Jesus is calling us to ask hard questions that challenge our fears and encourage us to reason in a way that draws on our experiences with him. And that's important because our default is not to reason in a neutral way. We don't make sense of the world in an impartial manner. How we reason has a lot to do with who we trust, our biases, and our comfort. There are times when we say something doesn't make sense simply because it makes us uncomfortable, or because we don't like the person who said it, or we're not in the mood to take in new information. And on the other side, something might make sense based on how comfortable it makes us, who we trust, and how receptive we are in the moment. We are not robots. And so reasoning is not just about logic. We don't always reason in the same way. How we reason about money may be different than how we reason about sex, which may be different than how we reason about justice. How we reason in the morning may be different than how we reason in the afternoon. <laughs> how we reason at night is a part of us being human. And for that reason, I think Peter is my favorite disciple um, because he's such a beautiful ball of inconsistencies when it comes to reasoning and faith. There are times when he's on a hundred for Jesus, trusting him wholeheartedly, cutting people's ears off for disrespecting Jesus. <laughs> and then there are other times when he's scared and doubting and denying Jesus. And he just feels so very real to me. 
Another story, and this is the last one. Uh, so this is after the parables. Jesus has calmed the storms. The disciple are like, who is this guy? He's feeding a crowd of 5,000 with fish and loaves of bread. And after that, Jesus sends the disciple ahead of him on a boat. And later he catches up with them by walking on water. And Peter is like, Lord, if that's you, tell me to come. Which is funny because, like, who else but Jesus would be casually walking on water? Um, But this is how Peter is attempting to make sense of something that does not make sense at all. And Jesus is here for it. Jesus says, come. And then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Peter doubted for the same reason we doubt. Because we get scared and overwhelmed. Because even though we experienced Jesus calm the wind last week, This week's win feels different and stronger because we're doing something we've never done before and we're easily distracted and thrown off course because we don't like being uncomfortable. Because the last time we learned this lesson, our soil was shallow and we weren't that focused. Um, Because as much as we want to be good soil, sometimes there's so much going on in the world and in our personal lives that makes it feel impossible. I don't think Jesus' question is rhetorical. I think he genuinely wants to know why we doubt, why we reason in a way that is inconsistent with how he has shown up in our lives. He is inviting us to figure that out with him and with each other. Despite my resistance to needing to look outside myself in order to make sense of the world, I have found that there is joy in reasoning in community, to knowing that I am not alone in my confusion, in my fear, or my doubt. For the meet and greet question, I asked, who is your go-to person when you're trying to make sense of things and why? Like a true lawyer, my answer is, it depends. Um, Sometimes, rarely, I want to be challenged. Other times, I want someone who I know relates to the world in a similar way. I would go to a different person, depending on if I want to be talked into something or talked out of something. Who we go to for help often has a lot to do with what kind of answer we want. And in that way, I think we're called to examine how we might be getting in the way of our own reasoning. Who we choose to lean on to help us make sense of the world is important because it helps to form us and inform our faith. So we must choose wisely and often because there is never a time when we have it figured out. God is beyond our comprehension, but Jesus is the finisher of our faith. We are constantly changing. The world around us is constantly changing. And in that same way, our faith is constantly changing, lessening, deepening. We're always having to reconcile what we know, think, and feel with Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to keep asking questions. Ask more questions than you can provide answers. Be curious. Think about what your ideal reasoning posture is. What time of day is it when your soil is most good? Where are you? Who are you with? In those moments, go to God with your questions. And while our ability to reason is limited, reason is not limited. Reason exists, full stop.
And I think that needs to be central to our faith. We have to trust that there is reason, order, and purpose, even if we cannot yet grasp it. But there is joy in knowing that Jesus wants us to figure it out with him and each other. Thank you. close in prayer, and as I do, I want to encourage folks who are tuning in online to think of your own prayer requests and throw them in the chat. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us in our mess. Thank you for choosing to spend every day with us, Lord. Thank you for inviting us to reason alongside you. Lord, I pray that today we are good soil. Um, and even if we're not, Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your patience. We thank you for surrounding us with people who love you and are willing to reason alongside us. Lord, I pray that as we leave this space, um, that we just continue to remember that there is reason, even if we don't get it, Lord, um, and that we are called to figure it out with you. And I pray that we find joy in that. Yes, in Jesus' name, I pray and give thanks. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.